0: Here we are, back again. Adam Odosky, how are you?
1: I am. Truth be told, I'm doing well, but I'm tired and
0: hungry. <laughs> but good, man. How are Excellent. you, Regan? I'm doing really well. This is uh, Regan Bach, uh, one of the co-founders of Better Faster Further, and uh, one of my good friends and uh, colleagues at Better Faster <laughs> Further, Adam Odosky. and. Um, we met about two weeks ago. Uh, I think it was Tuesday the 4th, and you were gearing up for uh, the Moab 240 uh, Ultra Marathon, uh, which you have completed, and definitely looking forward to diving into uh, kind of the details of that. But our previous podcast was really around making a few introductions and. Um, to myself, to yourself, to better, faster, further a little bit, and then setting the stage for the Moab 240, but using that as a background and fodder for facing adversity and digging in deep and pushing through hard times and uh, the the, the mindsets, the behaviors uh, that go along with that. And I'm sure that you faced uh, many of those opportunities in this recent race. So super curious to A, you know, hear about the adventure itself, uh, your, 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 you know, where your head was at and, and some of the physical stuff during, cause I know that's just arduous. We were tracking you the whole time. Uh, and then hopefully we can come out the back end of this thing and, and continue to just reflect and get some lessons and share some lessons, uh, with the folks that are listening to see, um, you know, what lessons are learned and how they can carry them forward. So super, super stoked. I've been wanting to do this. You and I have connected a couple times, but I haven't gotten the lowdown, the nitty gritty. So um, just texts and bits and clips of things. So super excited to to get into it.
1: Yeah, you bet. Uh, well, all of that was in there, uh, included in Moab. It was a, it was just you know basically for me 106 hours of hard earned lessons and facing adversity. I mean, almost from mile 10 on. Uh, to be honest, it was just you, you know readjusting expectations, taking a look at goals, figuring out what was important, what wasn't, yeah. you know, how to reset, uh, you know, just constant, yeah, uh, so, for the entire time.
0: Just to help set the stage for folks that either didn't hear the first one or just coming into this or have no idea what we what the heck we're talking about. Just what 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 is the race that you recently did? Just give us the the the, high, the you know the the hit list of stuff, and then we can get into a bit more.
1: You bet. So the Moab 240 is, uh, it's an endurance run, you know, quote unquote race, but an endurance run ultra run that takes place, uh, once a year, every year in Moab, Utah. So it it's a 238.1 mile loop that starts and finishes in Moab. And it is in large part on trails, double track, single track, with just a little bit of, paved road not very much I mean uh, just a few miles I think um and that run has roughly and, and forgive me I don't know the numbers exactly but roughly 250 or so athletes that start uh that make their way around uh this one continuous loop nonstop, um and the cutoff time is 113 hours and so just for a point of reference. The person who won this year finished in, you know, 57 hours and some amount of minutes. He set a new course record. He's also 51 years old, which is incredibly impressive.
0: He crushed uh, it. I was fo- uh, what's that gentleman's name? Jeff Browning, I believe. I watched a video about Jeff and I was watching him kind of out the gates, you know, creating distance between he and the pack. And then he finished in like two and a half days and, yeah. or whatever it was. And everyone else was like halfway through the course.
1: Yes, so so for perspective, he finished in fifty-seven hours. It took me a hundred and six hours. So Jeff was like, well rested, somewhat recovered, showered, has slept, like, beers
0: and like having two, two
1: beers in. Yeah, um, and then the last person every year, you know, people come in right at the right at the sort of um, they call it the golden hour, right at the time clock. Yeah, and people gather at the finish line and it's a big celebration. That's what I love about ultra racing is the, the community and. You know the person who wins the race is oftentimes not even as celebrated as the the person who finishes at the very end you know right. because you know what it takes i mean jeff's jeff's accomplishment is just unbelievable like that amount of fitness and mindset and what it took to to do that course in 57 hours and then you have to think about the person who finished you know in 112 hours and 50 minutes or whatever that finishing time was It. It's also equally impressive in that they were out there for that long, grinding it out, you know, going through all those, um, you know, different stages of adversity or facing challenges or having to reset or rebuild for, for that amount of time. So it's it's a really cool community that way that everybody is celebrated.
0: And so uh, the cutoff was one hundred and thirteen hours. It took you one hundred and six, yeah. and you were saying so. Just one one final thing because I don't remember approximately how much elevation gain and drop. And then a little bit just around the. you know, Moab is in the middle of the desert. It's typically quite hot, but there was in one of the videos you sent, I saw like snow in the background. Was that right? Or no, was I just seeing stuff?
1: No, no, you you got it right. So it it does start in Moab and it works its way, you know, on a loop and it starts heading east towards the uh, Abajo, Abajo, forgive the pronunciation, Abajo mountains out near Monticello, Utah. Totally. Those mountains are actually quite rugged and higher in elevation and we climb uh up and over those mountains and uh when you get up into those mountains i did a race out there earlier this year in may called uh bear's ears so it's near bear's ears national monument right uh, it's quite it's an alpine environment i mean you're you're talking about aspen groves and and you know tall pines and very cold temperatures but yep you're right you did see snow not there but you saw snow in the lasalles yeah not totally. a after we came out of the, the first mountain range we went uh we made a traverse across the desert towards the LaSalle's and climbed up and went through uh sort of near the top of the LaSalle's uh and again in a very high Alpine environment you know near tree line cold Aspen groves you know there was some snow on the peaks uh there was some hail on the ground you know we got you know where I, my timing just happened to be that I didn't get caught in any weather uh which was really nice knock on wood uh, but you could tell by the look of the hail that you know people who had come just before me had got caught in a in a hailstorm, so um, I, I got lucky. But it was cold. You know, you're you're talking gloves and long pants, and you know I had a light uh, puffy on. So you know yeah, the temperatures uh, varied dramatically. But the first day, well, let's set the stage. So I left I left Salida, which is where I live, Salida, Colorado, which and it's about a six hour drive, give or take. I left Salida on Wednesday morning to drive down and sort of do some last minute preparation in Moab. And then we checked into the race on Thursday. And I remember looking at my wife and saying, Erica, this is an exercise in fear management. Cause like, you know, we used to paddle some, you know, some challenging rivers and stuff and, and butterflies and nervousness and being anxious or what have you, like all the feels, completely expected. The difference with Moab is that I had all those feels and then i realized i had to manage those feels for some amount of time greater than 80 hours you know that it, this thing was going to be going on for so long yeah. uh, so it was it was an interesting couple of days leading into the race like and i was out there by myself you know no pacers no crew so i was like you know sort of trying to figure out um you know how to how to manage those emotions a little bit not yeah. suppress them not ignore them but you know sort of make sure that i tuned into them and figured out where they were coming from and what was going on and all that stuff so i got out there wednesday afternoon i'd been dealing with um for the last eight weeks leading up to the race i've been dealing with some sort of lower back hamstring glute issue um and i had been going to a medical massage therapist and a physical therapist trying to get this thing worked out well it was alive and well that that discomfort on thursday the day before Mm -hmm. the race the race and Luckily, I was was having um, a meal at this vegan food truck in Moab called Moab Kitchen. Shout out to Moab Kitchen. Awesome people and awesome food. Uh, And it's a nonprofit, so all all the proceeds go back to really good causes. Uh, But anyway, I was having having a meal there, and I asked the woman who was working in the food truck if she knew of any massage therapists. And she said, yeah, call this woman. Her name's Emily. Um, See if she can get you in. And I called her. She happened to have availability, so I went for a massage after I checked into the race. And sometimes I think that had I not gone to see this woman, Emily, or she couldn't fit me in that I may not have been able to, to finish this race because she just, I was still st- sore on the start line, but she worked out a lot of the, you know, sort of last kinks that were there, um, to help get my body as ready as it possibly was going to be for, for Friday's 6 AM start. Um, and then, uh, Ironically, Regan, I'm a terrible sleeper, and I never sleep well before races. I slept like a baby on Thursday night, the night before the race. I went to bed at about eight o'clock, got up at three thirty um, to get ready to head over to race start, and I, sl- I actually slept well, which is unbelievable. Yeah, um, I've,
0: I've known you long enough to know that sleep is like your your Achilles your Achilles heel. My <laughs> totally,
1: and and for some reason uh, that night, I think it was just my body was knew what was coming and. Yeah. I was out. So that was good. Uh, so I started the race feeling, um, like rested, which was good. You know, I had my, you know, my stuff going on in the, in, you know, the lower back, hamstring, glute, what have you. Um, but the race start was great. And, um, that was the only time I got to see Jeff Browning was right. When the gun went off, I watched him just disappear, yeah. um, you know, into the front of the pack and, and gone. I watched his headlamp. By the time we got to the trail, we had a, I don't know, maybe two miles of in town running before we got to the trail. And, you know, I think I, I must have seen his headlamp just disappearing over the farthest.
0: There race. was, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember kind of, uh, you know, we watched the beginning of the race and then, like, had to go to work or something and kind of were checking along the way. But there were, uh, I believe, two gentlemen and, um, and one gal, one female that, was, that were leading the pack. And mm-hmm. I remember they just kind of created this distance. But I remember he was in his 50s. I, I, I can't remember the age of the second gentleman. Um, but the, uh, but the, the woman that was running the race was young. I think she was in like the 19 to 24 age slot or something like that. So you yeah. had, you had, you know, uh, a, a male in his fifties and a, and a female in her late teens, early twenties, but like both kind of separating from the pack at, at from the get-go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She, and she did great. I, th- I want to say it was Alyssa Clark, but again, not totally sure. Uh, everybody can check out the race results and, and, and see who finished where on irunfar.com. Um, but yeah, I believe she, I believe her name was Alyssa Clark and yes, she finished. Uh, was the first female. And I think the top three men were all in their fifties. Um, the greatest thing about these, these longer distance ultras, you know, you know, you get the longer the distance, the less age and gender matters, which is so cool. Um, I just think that's a, I, I think that's awesome. It's a, a great equalizer of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, I mean, that was, that was the sort of lead in into the race, you know, it was kind of like managing butterflies, not having crew and pacers there was interesting cause I, I didn't really have anyone to sort of talk with about anything, you know, I just sort of managed it, um, and felt, felt what I felt. Um, and so standing on the start right, it was almost a little bit of relief when the gun ran off because I knew everybody was feeling the same, whether they had Pacers crew or not. And uh, once the gun went off, you know, it was on and, you know, all that stuff just sort of washed away as we started, you know, moving towards the the trail.
0: That's awesome. So, you know, day one, you kind of see the pack, even on like day three, there was what looked like from the, from the. GPS map, like there was a pack of folks that were, you know, not so distant. There's a few people lagging, you know, on the back. There's definitely a few people out front, but it looked like there was kind of this like mid-pack Peloton. I don't even know what you call it, but how far, like how often are you seeing other people? Like with the whole race, are you kind of in the pack seeing other people? Uh, Sometimes.
1: So day one, you know, as you can imagine, you see people more often because everybody's still pretty bunched together at that point. And then (laughs) you know as the days go on people get more spread out more spread out more spread out and then yep. you know especially as you know in a multi-day race like this uh people get you know we're all getting tired and so rest is a key component to success and something like this so you know even if a pack you know group of runners enters an aid station together you know perhaps you know they get spread out of the aid station because some people eat more or less Some people sleep or not, you know, some people have crew or not, so on and so forth. So that starts to spread people out. But um, I have quite a few sections where I ran by myself, Um, trying to think if there was any times, let's see, there wasn't really any time. I mean, on the beginning of day two, when I, so the beginning of day two, I was leaving Shea Mountain. So that was sort of the halfway point. Was that day two or day three? beginning of day three, I was leaving Shea Mountain. Uh, so that was the, the halfway point. And there was an 18 and a half mile section between the Shea Mountain aid station and the next aid station. And I left, you know, I, I got a couple hours of sleep at Shea Mountain, which was so needed, thank goodness. Um, and as I left that Shea Mountain aid station, I didn't see anybody until I was almost near, you know, probably a couple miles out from that next aid station. Um, so that was, that was probably the long, I would say that's probably the longest section that I went without seeing anybody.
0: Yeah. That's well, it's interesting too. I mean, just the difference between even just knowing another human is out there and like, and like literally being by yourself or at least feeling like you're, that you're by yourself. So one of the, one of the awesome stories that you were breaking down, you were saying it was like mile 70 or something where you, you just, you started breaking down and I'm curious I'm curious what that was like that's early. in a 240 mile race. If you're breaking down at 70, you're like, oh, shit, here we go. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a total yard sale. I mean, and it, so what happened is um, day one started off well. I mean, even though my, you know, my hip and I'm like pointing to it, with my hands, but even though my hip and glute, whatever the issue was, was sort of starting to flare. My pace was good. I felt I felt really good. Um, all was going well. Mindset was strong. The whole nine yards having fun. And then we went into this aid station. I think it was called Base Camp. And this is a really cool aid station. It's, it's at somebody's house, actually. And they have tents set up outside. And it's out in the middle of nowhere. Beautiful scene. And lots of food and water. But between Base Camp and the next full aid station was 26 and a half miles. And that next aid station was called Oasis. Um, there were, Now, four miles after Base Camp, there was a water station set up uh kind of in the middle of nowhere so you could refill water at that point but that still leaves 22 and a half miles to get to the next aid station and so when I left base camp I was feeling good I got to the water station and I filled up water and I had 22 and a half miles to go and it was hot there was no wind it was you know call it 80 degrees or so so air temperature not that hot but you know how it is in the desert The exposure is what gets you. And without wind, that sun is just baking you. And I had a sun hoodie on with a hood up, you know, the entire time, like trying to protect myself from the sun. And I was trying to conserve water, but I ran out of water nine miles before the Oasis aid station. And I think running out of water in that heat and still having nine miles to go is what sort of set the the wheels in motion to start for the screws to come loose and the wheels to fall off. Um, by the time I got to the Oasis aid station, I was in bits, like everything was locking up in my right, on my right side. And I was, you know, alternating my gait just by trying to minimize pain. And, um, as a result of that, you know, my feet were getting, you know, tons of blisters and, you know, things were getting sore. My knee was starting to get sore. So I rolled into the, to the Indian Creek aid station at miles, like mile 71 or something like that. And when I rolled in, um, the, the aid station captain just happened to be on the trail, you know, a couple hundred yards out from the aid station. And she said, Hey, what, what's your, what's your bib number? You check in at every aid station. I said, "173," And she said, how are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm in rough condition. And She walked with me into the aid station and she's, you know, the, the, the volunteers, I mean, I just take a moment to tell you the volunteers are incredible. Most of them are ultra runners themselves. And so they know what it's like to be out there in extreme discomfort, you know, in an adverse situation, they know what to expect. And they know that the runner sometimes can't see the full picture, right. That they may be focused on the pain or losing, losing the strong mindset or what have you. And so they, they really tune in and they they're like a big warm blanket on a winter day. They just, they just really take you in and, and try to make you feel better. But she walked with me in, she's, what do you need? I said, I don't know. My, my, my right side is locking up pretty bad i'm in significant pain um she's like okay well let's let's get you something to eat and let's get you something to drink so she got me over to the food tent sat me down the volunteers they come out they take your vest off they fill your water um and these aid stations they had you know kind of like a river trip set up they had stoves and stuff so they cooked food to order for you They're like we have this that and the other um and i'm plant based and they had a ton of vegan options They're like this is what we have for vegan options we got veggie burgers we got you know, vegetable soup, blah, 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 blah. So I I ordered some food and they brought it out. I ate. And then uh, this is where my whole race turned around for me uh, or started to turn around. This gentleman came up who was one of the the medical volunteers. His name was Dale. And Dale said, same thing, what's going on? And I told him all what was going on. I said, I don't know if I can continue. And here's the, the major mistake I made is I said, I don't know that I can go another 170 miles in this amount of pain. You know, you, you don't ever think about these things in a in an ultra race, right? All, the only thing you need to think about is what do you need to do to reset right now? And you know, what do you need to do to get to the next aid station? You don't think about the remaining part of the race because 170 miles is daunting. Yeah. so daunting. Right. And that's what the loop that was going in my mind. And I spoke it out loud so I gave it I gave it a voice um, which made it even worse. And Dale's sort of he's like let's all right let's let's assess what's going on. So I told him everything that was going on. He immediately said, "Look, I've I've been in your exact same boat. This is what happened to me." And I said, well, did you DNF or did you keep going?" And I think he said he DNF. I'm a little bit out of it
0: at this point, sorry. DNF for folks that don't know is just uh, did not finish. Right? You DNF. Finish, it's like you're race. Right. Yep. You either pull yourself out. Don't they pull some people out as well, or does it have to be voluntary?
1: No, no, they'll pull you out if you're medically unable to go on. Oh, uh, DNF for, is did not finish. Yeah, yeah. So they they'll pull you out sometimes too. Uh, and then that you can time out too. Like if you miss the cutoff, yep. he said, you know, he, he basically helped me assess what was going on. He took a look at my feet. He patched them up. I mean, these, these people are amazing. I mean, they do wonders on your feet. You have blisters all over your feet and they just pop and tape and, you know, whatever they do. Um, and your feet feel almost brand new and it's amazing. So he got me tuned up and he's like, listen, before you make any decisions, why don't you lay down in the tent and get some sleep? said, so, okay, I'm going to do that. Um, so I went down and I, I tried to lay down. I was in there for about an hour. I think I probably slept for half an hour or so. I came back out, found Dale and he's like, well, how's it going? I said, I feel a little bit better, but I'm still concerned about finishing. And here's what Dale said. I said, look, man, I don't want to, I don't want to get into a pickle in between these two aid stations and and people have to come rescue me. I don't want to you know, tax the system, if you will. He said, look, that's what we're here for. Um, you know, that's why people are here. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'll call on the ham radio. I'll call ahead to the next aid station. I'll let them know you're coming and we'll keep an eye on you. And so he does, he does that. He, he calls ahead. He says, they know you're coming. People know to look out for you. Don't worry about it. Um, what do you need to do to keep moving? And so I got some more food. He taped my hamstring. Um, and I was, I'm literally walking around the aid station with a blanket around my shoulders, like trying to figure out if, if I can go on and, and, uh, I think I ultimately looked at Dale and said, what do you think? He said, I think you can do it. He's like, don't DNF now. Got to make it to a mile hundred. I said, okay, Dale, I'm going. Took off the blanket, put my vest on, got some food to go, and took off out of the aid station. And I'm telling you, Regan, it wasn't 20 minutes out of the aid station where that extreme low lifted. The sun started to come up. Um, you could see dawn breaking on the horizon. You got the the silhouettes of the mountains, you know, and, and the buttes in the desert. Yeah. And spirit started to lift and my mindset completely shifted. Sun comes up fully and I am like, holy cow, I feel much better. Made it to the next aid station, feeling good, got the feet retaped, got some more food, changed clothes. You know, it was a it was a pretty quick turnaround, maybe ten minutes at that aid station. And um kept moving and then uh and then had a great day uh and I ended up on that day I linked up with this guy uh from the east coast southeast named Chris who was he was just a breath of fresh air great personality and we ran together for maybe 30 miles or so give or take and he was just a breath of fresh air and he took off towards the end of the day because you know he really wanted to get to uh the midway point which was called Shade Mountain up in the mountains uh, because he had heard that there's cell service at Shea Mountain, he, this guy, he really wanted to call his wife and it was just awesome how much he loved his wife. He's like, I got to call her before it gets too late yeah. on these. Yeah. And so he's like, you mind if I take off I'm like, no, take, go for it. So he, he rolls out and, uh, <clears throat> I ended up meeting somebody else, uh, named Aaron who I ended up doing a, a quite a few miles with during Moab. Uh, but we hung together till we got to the aid station before we left for Shea Mountain. And, um, uh, we rolled into the aid station, had some food and he was getting ready to go. And I still hadn't had my feet looked at yet. He's like, I'm going to take off because it's 18 miles to shade. You want to go with me? And I said, ah, sure. What the heck? So, um, four went getting the feet tuned up there and we took off and I'm glad I did because that was to say it was a character builder is an understatement. That's a, maybe a diplomatic way of saying, you know, you know, that, that, that section was so freaking hard. It was a, I don't know, seven thousand feet of gain or something like that, yeah. and um, very steep, rugged trail. Um, you know, we had daylight for I don't know, the first <clears throat> hour and a half or so, and then it got dark, and so most of it was in the dark. Uh, but here's the best thing: by the time we got to Shea Mountain, you know, it was this, we got we got off the trail, steep up, steep down to a road, then a a, a dirt road, and then a sort of like a couple miles down on the dirt road. And then we had about a three mile climb on this dirt road up to the to the aid station. And at this stage, we're both, you know, hallucinating a little bit. We're super sleep deprived, tired, hungry, you know, all the things. And we start getting closer to the aid station. And, um, I look up and I'm like, is that Capri? And I was like, Capri? Capri's my dog, my Australian <laughs> shepherd. And all of a sudden Capri comes charging towards me. My wife it's shown up at the Shade Mountain aid station.
0: Oh, I had no
1: idea. That's cool. Yeah, it was awesome. So Erica was there with Capri, with the truck. Um, so she, she, we rolled into Shade Mountain. Um, Aaron and I said, "Great running with you. You know, if we see each other when we, we're each going to take a rest. If we see each other, we'll, we'll keep running together. If not, no worries. Have a great race." So Erica helped me get tuned up. And they had, it was a sleep station, so they have these little tents set up and cots. And uh she helped she like kinda tucked me in in this cot, you know, and then and then uh she took off. But it was a it was a, a total spiritual lift, you know, or emotional lift to see her and Capri. Um and it was hilarious. We went into the we went in the tent, you know, these are shared tents, right? There's like three or four cots in each tent where people runners can come in and sleep. Well, Capri comes into the tent, she jumps up on the cot, she's like, I'm here, Dad, it's all good, I'll pace
0: you. You're safe. <laughs>
1: Um, uh, unfortunately she wasn't allowed, but she would have been great for that. Um, but yeah, so, so when I left Shay, you know, early that morning, you know, after I, got, I probably got two hours or three hours of sleep, I don't know exactly, not that much, but enough to completely reset. Yeah. I left Shay feeling good and, and, um, had an 18, 19 mile section to the next aid station, which was, which went really well, you know, good, had good food had a great pace um, and that was the section that was largely by myself, um, but all went really well there. Um, so I was thankful for that, And you know, getting over the halfway point is certainly a, a mental lift. Um, you know, you sort of, you get a little boost of confidence there. Okay. It was also awesome. My personal record at that point, I had the longest I'd ever gone was 107 miles. So at this point I was, um, you know, farther than I, than I'd ever been. And I had already dropped you know after what happened at indian creek i had to let go of all my time expectations i mean i was originally hoping to finish this race in 75 to 80 hours and so i had to let all of that go um and sort of reset my expectations and just try to finish um and be okay with what doing whatever it took to just finish
0: yeah exactly
1: and and that was fine um and so do you want me to keep going like a play by play or do you have questions or oh, it's
0: totally cool i mean the um i i remember i think it was after the race, you sent me a text, where you were we were chatting about the the seventy mile. That guy helping you kind of reset and reframe and kind of push on. But you know, he I, I, the the memory that sends out to me was him being like, "Dude, you don't got to worry about the race. You just got to worry about the next aid station. Like, just make it to the next aid station and then reassess, and then make it to the next aid station and reassess." And when you told me that, what one of the things that I, I thought about, which is an, like, I guess an analogy I use a lot, is like you know, when you're running a big, long, hard rapid in a raft or or especially in a kayak, you're not looking at the whole thing. It's like, how do I get from the river right to the eddy behind that big boulder? And from there I turn around, I reassess, okay, now I catch this slack water and float that down and then here. But the point is just like breaking big, complicated things down into smaller bite-sized things and, you know, taking that all in stride, which, you know, A, super cool that, that you had him um, do that. And then the next time we heard from you other than just some subtle texts was you running out the back end on that last day. You're like, dude, I got a mile to go. And I know we're not there yet, but you were like, you don't even know the adversity. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. Great. I'm, 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 I'm loving it. I'm sure other people will too.
1: Yeah. And to that point, you know, as far as breaking big complex things down into small bite sized pieces, I think, you know, if there's, if there's ever been a secret to life in general or sports or, or whatever, it is to do that very thing. Uh, you know, because what that does in essence is, it, it does two things simultaneously. Number one, it builds confidence, right? Because you, you break something big down and you, you break it down into something you know you can achieve, right? So that, that in and of itself builds confidence. And two, it opens up possibilities, right? It gives you pause and time to reset, to rethink, you know, to reposition if you need to. Um, And so those two things you know you've probably heard the analogy a million times you know slow smooth smooth is faster go slow to go faster or or what have you that in and of itself is what that strategy allows you to do and it's it it is incredible and i thought about dale i thought about dale probably every 10 minutes for the rest of the race um just remembering that don't think about 120 miles to go or 100 miles to go or or you know what have you it was just you know, just you what, got to what get you
0: down on here? Your little man crush with the, the guy that, that, <laughs> turned,
1: saved me, miles, you know, you yeah, saved me. Um, so anyway, i get to that, that next aid station and, um, I've got about, what is it? I don't know. I, I, who knows, 12, 13, 15 miles, something like that, uh, to get to this aid station called the needles overlook. And, um, just so happened, I was feeling great. I was in there, I was eating, I was getting my feet tuned up and, um, there was a couple of women in there whose runner dropped, and they were there to pace. They said, Hey, does anybody want to pace her? I said, Hey, I'll take a pacer, you know, just for the, Absolutely. you know, why not? And so I took off with this woman named Polly. She was, Polly was great. She was, um, um, a great conversationalist. We had good conversation and, and the run was going well and, um, something, I don't know what it was, but about two miles outside of the needles aid station, all of a sudden my left knee started to hurt. And um, it started small, just like a little ache. And I was like, hey, Paul, my, my left knee's starting to hurt a little bit. I need to stop and stretch and maybe slow the pace a little bit. And we did that. And it started to get a little worse and a little worse. Well, by the time we got to that aid station, here we were again, back locked up, hamstring locked up. I was shivering. And keep in mind, this is like 3 o'clock in the afternoon in the desert at 80 yeah. degrees. And it's hot. And, uh, I was shivering, rolled in, went to the eight, you know, they had a medical tent set up. I'm like, I'm not sure what's going on, but I, I couldn't wait my feet. Um, so they laid me down, covered me with a blanket, shoes and socks off, feet elevated, got some food in. Now the whole time I didn't, I never felt nauseous. My stomach was never swirly, So knock on wood that that was never an issue for me. So I could get food in yeah, uh, always. And I could get liquid in always. So that was never an issue. Um, but I was, I was at that aid station, and he, I felt worse here at this aid station than I did at uh, uh, Mile 71 at Indian Creek. And I'm going, oh, no, what is up? And sure enough, that same loop started to go again in my head. And I'm like, oh, stop. So I texted Erica. I'm like, hey, this is what's going on because we had cell service. Uh, Erica being my wife, this is what's happening I'm not sure what's up. And she's like, can you get to, can you get to the next aid station? And do you want me to come out? I'm like, yes, I can get there. Um, and yes, I would love for you to come out. She's like, I'm going to go get some, cause I forgot to bring my, my sleeping bag and Paco pads and what for the back of the truck. So she's like, I'm going to go get some new sleeping bags and, um, some pads for the back of the truck and I'll see you guys Pass." I said, okay and i got up and i'm i'm looking at the the medical volunteer who was amazing as usual and she looks at me and she's like just so you know no one's allowed to drop at the needles and i, <laughs> I was like i like your style um you know it's just it was just great you know they they know what's going on this is another really low point my mind is wavering my body feels terrible um but she knew just to keep me going and so i ate drank i limped out of that aid station um you know there's some people that were like hey do you want us to run with you or whatever and i said no why don't you go ahead i don't want to slow anybody down i'm just gonna i'm gonna make my way to the ex- next aid station regardless of how long it takes so you guys go ahead no worries well, sure enough Regan, um another and and this is part of the big takeaway from Mob. i haven't completely impacted yet but um i left that aid station limping like hobbling like weighting my poles significantly feeling terrible and about two miles of, of doing this i was like you know what if I'm just going to drop out of this race, well, then I'm just, it's just, I'm just going to run this next section. I'm just going to run the next 13 miles because I'm just going to do it. I'm, I'm going to get there and I want to be done. And, um, so I started running and it hurt like hell, but it hurt like hell for about a mile. And then the pain started to go away. And then the spirits started to lift and all the things. And I ran that 13 miles or whatever it was, you know, if anyone's checking numbers, I may be off of my numbers here, but you know, give or take a few miles, whatever it was, I ran to the next AH station to road 46 and I rolled in and there's Erica. And it, you know, she knew I was in bad shape, you know, from the text message conversation we were having. And she said, look, let's get you some food. Let's get you some rest. And, uh, we'll talk about what's next after you wake up. I said, okay. And, uh, knowing that what was next was the climb up the LaSalle and sort of the most technically difficult and, you know, most challenging section of the course. Um, and I said, I sure would love to, to run that section with somebody else because just in case the wheels come off and they really come off, just to let somebody know while I hunker down and wait yeah, would be awesome. Um, and then uh, Erica had, was checking the tracker and she's like, oh, that guy, Aaron, you were running with, you came into Shea Mountain, he's just a couple miles behind you. And then out of nowhere, this guy, Jeff, pops up and says, I'm pacing Aaron for the next section. Why don't you join us? I'm like, are you serious?
0: That's
1: great. And um, I said, "Are you guys planning to sleep?" And he and he said, "Yeah, we're going to sleep. Or why don't we meet, you know, right here at the food tent at 3 a.m. or whatever the time was." And I said, "That's perfect." So Eric and I crawled in the back of the truck and um, slept for a little bit, and got up and uh, got dressed. And I mean, I was limping like a—you wouldn't even believe it. it was just so painful, hobbling. Hobbling. I mean, it was a, a sight to see, but my spirits were good. And I was like, well, I'm going to give it a shot. And uh, we, we met and uh, had a cup of coffee, which was delightful. And, um, you know, off we went and um, said goodbye to Erica there. And uh, off we went and uh, the three of us just made our way up the mountain, you know, it's beautiful night; stars were out, you know, it's just gorgeous. And it was crisp and you know, fall. And it was, it's just gorgeous. And we, we made it up and the sun came up and We made it into the next aid station, pole Canyon and greeted by like the most warm and fun volunteers that, um, you know, just really took us in, made us food, got us tuned up. And I was feeling on top of the world at this point again. So, I mean, that's, that's the takeaway. I think the thing that just has me blown away about Moab is to experience such deep lows. I mean, really deep mental, spiritual, physical and to be able to bounce back and bounce back fairly quickly. Um, and I think maybe it's David Goggins who says something like, you know, when you feel like you're, you're, you're just, you've got nothing left in the tank, you're, you've probably only used 40% of what you have. Yeah. And I thought about that during the, uh, during the run I'm like, I'm wondering if this holds true. And I will tell you now I've never felt that physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, um, destroyed and still been able to come out of it and give way more than 60%. Um, so I think that statement that he said is true, if not an undershot of Dude, what's I mean, pop- I'm
0: I'm looking back at some of the text. So this one was at, this was on Sunday, October 9th at 2.30 PM. You're at mile 140 or something. You're like, hey, Reg, almost to mile 140, feeling so much better than I did at mile 70. It was dicey there for a little while. Mindset and physical was super shaky, but found my way and we're on the go, um, you know. And then later, it's been a real battle mentally and physically almost the whole race. But I'm still in the fight at mile 184 and heading to mile 200 now. I mean, it's just like because you you would I, we would send you these little check-ins and it was like, yep, I, you know. We were discussing at one point when you were hitting the wall at 70. I'm like rut row, like. <laughs> That's, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of race ahead of that kid, you know, you're talking about these like 18 mile, 22 mile stretches, like that's a race in and of itself. And you're at that point, you're like, these are just the distances between the aid stations, which to me is bonkers. So
1: it is. And and I I mean, I think that's what makes this race. I I mean, the train, of course, the, the, the overall distance makes it challenging, but the distance between aid stations. Yeah makes it that much more challenging. And because the aid stations give you, of course they give you like physical nourishment, there's food, there's water, you can rest, but there's also people there that help lift your spirits.
0: Yeah, so key. I mean, so it's key. to think about too, when you just think about doing things literally by yourself versus with other people, like having a teammate, having a partner, having a, a, a race runner, a, a pacer, a co-founder, whatever. It's like to be able to lean on somebody when, shit is hitting the fan when things are hard that can like pick you up or at least just like be in the muck together is a beautiful thing
1: for sure for sure i mean and you think about entrepreneurs right i mean i've been an entrepreneur five times over i mean you think about entrepreneurs without a co-founder the shit they have to go through that every founder goes through starting a company to do that on your own or theoretically on your own without another you know partner on paper partner that has the skin in the game and yeah. Carries the risk that you carry, or that the founder carries. Wow, man, that just intensifies that adversity
0: so much more. Yeah, there's like a you know, in the business world at least, there's almost like this moral burden that is carried by co-founders. That's really hard. A lot of sleepless nights. Like you're in charge of people's lives. You got to make payroll. You got to. Have, you know, have the vision, you got to see around the corner, you need to be, you know, depending on the size, like taking care of people's emotions and dealing with HR issues and whatever it is, but to do that solo, which I have done as well. And I, I enjoy so much more having, you know, Louie at, at the helm with me. It's like that partnership is key. And obviously, all the other folks, you know, yourself and Lou and the coaches we have are just are, are huge. But it's different when you have that person that's in the muck with you with the same kind of moral responsibility. And, um, you know, in our business is relatively, you know, small in scope and scale, but the, 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 that, that, that feeling of responsibility for, for yourself and for others is, is huge. And so anyways, getting back to the race though, I just see like constantly see these parallels into life, but, um, you, you know, you were saying you to hit those lows and experience the highs, but to know that like, even in the depths of the lows, like, you have so much more physically, mentally to give. And I I find it interesting, the parallel between the mindset where your head is at in any given moment and some of the physicality, because you said physically your body was shutting down, but you were in a good head space. And then Mm -hmm. sometimes your body may be doing, you know, it's okay things, but you're in the dark place in your head. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, when those are both in combination, when your body's falling apart and your head is in the (laughs) gutter, you're like, that's that's when shit is real. Yeah. That's the pit of despair. And and to be honest, you know, there's levels to it, right? There's levels to everything, but I don't think people, there's not many people that have truly experienced that kind of mental and physical kind of disparity. There's other people who have lived through, I mean, that race is something you volunteered to do. And in theory is, is fun and is a challenge. There's people who have had to experience, you know, depravity and emotional loss and death and suffering and um, things that are forced upon them, that they have no choice and they, they, you know, certain people, they get broken and other people figure it out and find a way through. And I I find that just so fascinating when somebody could have such a hard upbringing or be exposed to like the most gruesome, you know, war-torn regions and families dying and they find a way to like pull out of it and become these amazing humans and are, and are tougher for that experience. And that grit and that tenacity and that perseverance and that mindset is so key
1: okay, and I thought a lot about um, the roller coaster ride that I was on for you know f- uh, like a few years ago uh there's the challenges that were had in business and life and, and what have you which I, I think you know a lot of, but that's a story for another time I think maybe another podcast, but it was you know it was remembering those times and um, you know seeing the parallels between that challenge those challenging moments back to back to back and and the, you know the challenging moment, moments in this race although very different but still that that level of being so low um mentally and physically so yeah I and, I and i don't know i mean people say it all the time you've got so much more in the tank than you ever would know and you know yeah. blah 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 i i find it hard to trust until you actually live it yourself totally you know and that the beauty of of ultra the ultra community is that you can choose to put yourself into a situation that you know is going to be challenging, you know, and the the distance is irrelevant. It's whatever, whatever is going to be very challenging for you and to, you know, basically puts a mirror in front of you and shows you exactly who your true character is. And in that moment, you have the ability to, you may not be able to control how you feel physically, you know, or, or even how you feel mentally, but you can choose how you show up in that moment. And I remember thinking that at mile 70, when I rolled in the night station, I was like, man, you feel terrible, but you can control how you manage yourself through this moment.
0: Yeah. Like how you respond to that moment. Right. Like, yeah. how, how, like those are those pivotal moments that I think everybody faces to different degrees of like, is this the thing that breaks me? Is this the thing that like I give up on? Is this the thing, like the one more push up? like just do one more, go one more aid station, go one more, you know, is today the day that I'm not going to do my pushups? Am I not going to wait? Right. Up? Like, well, let's just, let's, let's wait. And let's, let's do that tomorrow. Let's just like push it exactly. one more day and we'll deal with that tomorrow. And then hopefully tomorrow never comes, you know? Yeah, exactly.
1: And so like one thing I learned on in this race too, is the, the value of developing a, a toolbox of, of, you know, mental strength tools, I guess. I, I'm not sure the right way to say it, but having a toolbox of things that you can that you can pull out because not every tool is right for every situation. Boom. Yeah. You know? And and that I think is is key. If you show up and you have one tool, you know, I'm only gonna think about my mental game is going to be based around getting from this age station to the next age station. Yeah. Well, you might need something else besides that when
0: that tool isn't the right tool for the situation. I mean we talk a lot about that piece in being a leader, being a manager is like a lot of people just show up and know how to be blue, right? They're like, mm-hmm. I'm blue, you you know, take it or leave it. But like if you're if you're blue and you're in a blue world, then that works great. But what happens when the world needs you to be red or the world or your team needs you to be green and all you know how is to be blue? It's like having one tool. If every if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? But if you have to cut a board in half with a hammer, you're just going to bludgeon it, right? You're going to splinter the thing to death, just pounding on it. How do you get, you know, how do you begin to hone mindsets, behaviors, skills, tactics, characteristics, traits that give you a diverse toolkit of, of tools? Because you're absolutely right. And some of those moments are people related, some are uh, external inputs that are coming in. Some are, um, you know, uh, mindset related. And so I love the fact that what you're saying is like not only a toolkit and kind of how you physically present or show up or are you know competing or accommodating, but also the mental preparedness like, dude, you don't know the strength of yourself or your team until shit hits the fan, right? And you're like, if your plans go out the window and that's their only set of plans, then it's kind of chaos, right? And if or if your plans are too complex, And you like go under fire or something breaks and nobody knows what to do. It's like that, that, that razor thin line of like being prepared mentally and physically enough, but also being able to go off script and figure it out.
1: You bet, 100%. And so it's, you know, it's sort of having what you need for, for multiple situations on you at all times, whether that's mental tools, leadership tools, behavioral tools, whether it's gear and race, uh, you know, things of that nature. For this race for example i made the decision to carry a little bit more than what the mandatory gear was in my vest because i wanted to make sure that you know if i ended up being behind schedule which i ended up being way behind schedule i didn't want to have to rely on getting to a certain aid station by a certain time to have a piece of gear that i might need for a certain section so i carried what i needed um no matter what the weather was going to be no matter what the train was going to be and that in and of itself allowed me to relax yeah. settle into what was going on but also pull out different things as i needed them and yeah. same for same for leaders of teams you know
0: yeah it was cool just to see the gear i mean i i this is you know ultra endurance runs is not my jam so i'm not that familiar with it but i like a just the vest and then the, the poles the collapsible poles and the chest and the different options you said you brought like a portable you know like one of those sleeping bags that at least holds your body heat in it just so you can yeah. you know, take a dirt nap if you need to and you know, I think, you know, our buddy Cliff Johnson in Durango, but he's a great dude, like just such a tight family friend and an ex Navy SEAL and stuff. But he's just got all these classic sayings. And he's the one that from an early age, like drove it into us. He was just like, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad gear, like totally. rain or shine or snow or sleet or sun. Like, you just got to be prepared. And If you have the right gear, it's all good. Right. You can just keep right. keep doing it. So and part of that, I think, is true with like the mindsets if you will like adversity is going to happen changes are going to come the plans are going to get thrown out the window and you're just like okay like i've i don't know exactly what we're going to do but we're prepared for that to happen um mm-hmm. we're expecting the plans to change and so we just take it in stride so what's the other thing expect the unexpected
1: yeah exactly
0: yeah and, and be prepared
1: for it yeah 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 and you're right i did i brought a little emergency bivy sack and i used it twice you know for a dirt nap you know or just exhaustion just overtook me and I needed to lay down for 15 minutes and you step inside this thing it looks like a piece of aluminum foil right but it radiates your body heat and it's just enough to like stay warm enough to close your eyes for 15 minutes and reset
0: your your brain and on you go and on you go so bring it bring us home bring us into the like kind of the tail end there
1: so the tail end, you know, it was basically porcupine rim for any of you listening who may have, uh, ridden a mountain bike in Moab, you've probably ridden porcupine rim, but it's this beautiful slick rock descent, you know, chunky technical slick rock descent, uh, from, the, you know, up high at the base of Los Salle's down into, into Moab, into the town. And that was the last section It was about 18 miles or so. And I left that aid station, uh, feet covered in blisters every every step I took felt like there was a knife in the bottom of each foot, just like jamming in there deeper, you know, it was so painful, but I, you know, I had never been more excited, more proud than I'd been at that time of of just a, something that I had done. Did and you know uh,
0: that you were gonna, like at that point, you know, you're finishing, you know, like you're like a military crawl to the end of this thing, I have to.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think I knew that. Um, I think I felt confident that I was going to finish after I left Geyser pass at, at mile 200.
0: Okay. That's cool. Cause that
1: was I basically had 38 miles to go. And I thought, you know, there's enough time that I could, I could crawl to yeah. the finish line. I'm gonna
0: um, do it. That's cool. Do it.
1: And so, um, yeah, it was incredibly painful that, that descent, cause it's downhill and everyone thinks that the uphills are the worst, but for me, the downhills are far worse than the uphills.
0: Hard on the knees. Oh. That's where things cramp on me too. It's just like you're 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 trying to almost slow things down as you as that momentum is pulling you downhill.
1: Yeah, you're trying to go slow. Momentum's trying to go fast. Totally. There's a there's a natural tension there, and you know your body just hurts worse in the down. I
0: couldn't imagine, bro. Two hundred at at two twenty or whatever it is, two fifteen. Yeah, yeah insane. And then so
1: uh, made it down. You know the the trail ends, and you have about three three or so miles, three and a half miles on a paved bike path along the river um to get to the finish line and my wife was there with my mom and my daughter and my dog and uh, so that was a great you know sort of lift to know that i'd see them in just three miles more at the finish line um so gave them all a hug and we took a picture and then i decided to run that last three and a half miles or whatever it was on on the paved path which hurt sort of like hell but at that point i wanted to run it in i wanted to be done um not to put it behind me, but I wanted to finish strong and just sort of celebrate the, the stuff from, uh, you know, everything experienced over the last f- four plus days. Um, and so that, that was the race to cross the finish line. You're greeted by other runners and, and, you know, people who are there at the finish line, friends and family of
0: finishers. And, yeah, your, dog, you know, your daughter ran across the finish line with you, yeah? Oh, you bet. Yeah, dog and dog and daughter. Yeah, we were watching it on the live cam and I'm like, dude, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. It was a little like screeny, like stop motion, right? It was like yeah. it was really cool to see the dog jump up on you and stuff. Yeah. Which hurt actually. I'm like, "Don't jump, <laughs> I'm gonna cramp, You like, you're gonna knock me over. Yeah, your 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 that video text that you sent was just awesome. You know, you were like whatever a mile out and you're like, "Dude, I'm 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 doing it. Like I'm going to run this through." We're 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 headed in it was it was great to see because we we'd been tracking you as well it's just a lot of conversation behind the scenes and yeah you know eric and lisa in, in portugal being like how's adam what's the latest i mean we, it was great we had people all over the place which is cool
1: that's awesome yeah i mean to say that i went out there without crew and pacers and i'm running this thing alone is such a uh, such an inaccurate statement you know it a my wife showed up at three aid stations so you know she gets the you know, the best crew award there. And, um, you know, I linked up with, with Aaron and Jeff for, you know, more than 70 miles of this run and then Chris for a good portion. So to say that I did it alone, it would be a, gr- a gross understatement. Um, and it, it just shines a light on what the community really is not to mention all the volunteers and medical staff and people that take care of the runners at every age station. And, you know, at one point I opened up my phone to just send Erica an update and I had 152 unread text messages. And I was like, Oh shit. You know, like people are, And that in and of itself is like, what could be better for, for support than something like that? You know, you know, people are following along and cheering you on and, yeah. you know, you just let go of what you're feeling and you, you, you suddenly start to realize that it's way bigger than just you and your training and whatever else you're doing. You know, it's, it's so much about, um, do it you know opening up the world to to possibility for others too you know to to see what they're capable of in themselves
0: you know yeah i mean pretty pretty amazing well it was i mean huge goal monumental training to achieve it is huge like you know just to finish it is is awesome i'm curious like post race you cross the finish line and then I would just assume at some point, like you, you mentally and physically kind of let go and then it all sets in. Like, I, I'm sure your body is just busted up still. So like, what's, it, it's been a week since, right? When did you, when did you finish? I finished uh Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon at around five o'clock. Okay. So today's Monday. We're just shy of a week. So like, what's, what's this last week been like?
1: <laughs> well, Sitting at the finish line, uh, first of all, the the to to highlight how amazing the volunteers are. Again, there was a volunteer that brought a Epsom salt, like bucket of warm water for my feet. Oh, and nice! So it was incredible. Like, and so I was sitting there with my feet in this Epsom salt, watching people cross the finish line and falling asleep. You know, like once you get across, I think you just kind of let go of all you know of everything you know you're trying to keep yourself together and so you're allowing the pain to set in you're allowing the exhaustion to set in was falling asleep at the finish line and uh exhausted went you know basically went back to the hotel and just you know you know fell asleep that night and slept and took a shower you know all the things um and then uh the days following you know the first day after the race was pretty riddled with um sore feet you know my feet were just so tender um but my my quads and um you know like the major muscles in my legs felt okay um so it was a day of you know kind of limping around a little bit but after that I started to be able to walk and and you know and recover physically pretty quickly um fast forward to today I mean I you know I'm still I feel like I have this like uh acute condition of uh, acute narcolepsy or something cuz I just will get so tired and want to take a 15 minute nap you know, multiple times a day. So I think it's just catching up on that that sleep deprivation. And then my appetite is just forget about it in overdrive. I just For can't sleep, get voracious. Yeah.
0: Um
1: but other than that, I feel pretty good.
0: Um, so yeah. It's awesome. I mean you were saying before we we started this, but that this was maybe your quickest recovery, longest and yeah. one of the speediest recoveries you've had.
1: Yep. Yep. And I'd I'd say that in large part is is probably due to you know the shorter distance racing you know you're you're moving faster, and so maybe more impact yeah um, but I also think now I've been plant based for quite a few years, and uh, I think that that's starting to to show that it's really working you
0: know you just, like in the recovery uh, aspects or what
1: uh-huh. <laughs> yeah and you know and I never felt nauseous once, I never felt depleted or bonked or anything like that in the race uh, and i I did it all plant based um, yeah. So, yeah. when
0: you're taking your supplements on the, when you're taking your 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 intake food, I guess, short of the of the, uh, you know, the soups and stuff that they're eating, but, uh, you know, the the goo products or whatever products you're taking, there are, are those specifically plant based things, or are they just non? I, do, I, what, what am I getting at? Like, is there any decisions that you have to make being plant based in regards to the intake during the race that is unique or different than kind of what other folks are using?
1: I think so. But I think a lot of non plant-based athletes and plant-based athletes overlap in some of the, some of the products they use. Like I use spring energy gels a lot and Bobo's yeah. bars. Yeah. Um, both of which are plant-based. Um, and, and I think those are like spring was a sponsor of, uh, destination trails. Okay. And so I think there's a lot of athletes out there, plant-based or not, that were using spring gels. Um, and I would just, so I had a, a, nutrition alert on my, on my watch that went off every 30 minutes, thanks to my coach. And, um every 30 minutes i would just take in about 200 calories and uh that was my routine for the entire race
0: slow and steady just taking taking smaller caloric intakes i mean 200 calories is no joke but it's like just steady steady yep every 30 minutes yeah are you drinking on a routine or are you just drinking as you're thirsty or what's the deal there try to drink uh consistently
1: small sips um, hold the water in your mouth for a little bit, but you know, it varies. I mean, it just depends on the train and the time of the day. Sometimes you get hot. Like I mentioned earlier, I ran out of water on that earlier section. Uh, but I always carried three liters of, of, uh, water on me. Mm -hmm. And usually I had about a liter of tailwind, which is liquid calories and electrolytes. Yeah. So I know, right. What's that? You're out of Durango, Colorado, aren't they? Tailwind. Yeah, Yeah. And I think spring's out of Colorado too, to be honest um and tailwind happened to be a sponsor of of uh the race as well so they had tailwind at every aid station
0: oh that's great which is great yeah yeah that's awesome I know a lot of people turn me on to that as well um dude amazing so like if you had to zoom out and just like you've had a week post um you know does your mind even contemplate like what next or is it just embracing and kind of basking in the glow of what you've already done like I had my my parents were in town and Bill's like. Is he thinking he'll do another one of those? Oh, yeah. No, I'll sign out later today. Hundred percent,
1: yeah, um, without a doubt. I'd say the experience of a of a multi day race is unlike anything else. And um, yeah, one hundred percent. I was looking at you know options for next season. You know, two days after the race finished, so.
0: We've yeah, a monster on him. We've created a monster. I'm sure Erica's created like, no, I think it's
1: more around the, the, the uniqueness of the community and the, the whole atmosphere and the vibe of the race. Like it's, it's yeah. man, if there's anywhere to fill your cup up, that's a spot.
0: Well, next year, I know we were talking about it this year, but with a year advance, I think we should be able to, to pace you at some of those places. I'll take, I'll take the, the 18 miler. We'll let somebody else do the, 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 the 20 pluses. <laughs> okay. That sounds
1: good. Fair enough. You know, I'd love to get you out there. I think you'd, I think you'd love the community. And, and, um, when you talk about team, when we, we, we talk, we spend a lot of time about talking about teamwork in our day to day. Yeah, uh, it's amazing to see what, what goes on at those races.
0: Absolutely. So, I think it's, I think it's, I mean, it's pretty amazing. And again, to bring it back to, um, Dave Browning, is that his name? What's the gentleman that won it? Jeff yes.
1: Browning, I think. Jeff
0: Browning. I mean, to, to to do what you did, which is huge, Herculean in my opinion, and then to do it in half the time is just like this this, you know, you know, some of it I, I'm sure he trains really hard and some of it is probably like just a genetic build that is that is there. But I mean he's in his early fifties and is he's a freaking antelope, you know, flipping around the hills just having a good time and um uh finished two days earlier than than the pack did, which is just shocking to me it's just really really amazing and the folks like you said that finished right before the cutoff equally impressive for different reasons right everybody's bar is is very very different you know to set a course record versus just finish under the under the time constraint is um is is they're both equally rewarding i think and, and and maybe even more so for the folks that don't finish races like that all the time yeah yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's amazing.
1: Yeah. Everybody, everybody who even stands on
0: the start line of something like that is amazing just yeah. to get out there and give it a shot. Yeah. You know I mean? Shout out to all those folks that are on the sidelines too. Like to be a wife or a husband or a partner or, or, or what have you to like support the person that's geeking out on these like 70 mile runs over the weekend um, is I'm sure your dog loves it, but you know, at the, at the home front, it's not always easy. There's a lot of, it's hard enough just for me to get out to go you know surfing or go for a mountain bike ride so to disappear for long stretches of time i know is it it's it, you gotta have a you gotta have a good backup team in your in your corner yeah. there's a heck of a lot of uh
1: payback that's that's coming from me to my wife and daughter now yeah. you know some, yeah. some downtime to sort of reinvest. Yeah, awesome man well hey this is
0: killer i am you know we and others super stoked that you're finished i do think you know, we wanted to really focus on just debriefing this event in and of itself, but so many cool lessons to carry over into our world, uh, kind of the better, faster, further coaching, leadership, development, operational world. Uh, we're going to have Louie jump in on the next one. And I think we'll take some of these lessons learned and begin to put it through the business lens, but super excited to have him join and uh, just keep this going. Yeah. Man. But yeah. Um, job well done it was awesome to hear kind of the 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 details and the nuance behind some of that stuff but again just kudos to you and take care of the body and keep refueling and um you know enjoy those little narcoleptic naps i think you take every every so often but uh, yeah uh, when we first got on the uh, when we first got on the call it felt like you had like propped yourself up in the chair i'm like oh you taking one of those naps just now
1: Man, I should have I should have but now I feel good now i'm sure when we hang up i'll I'll be tired again, but i've got some some uh clients this afternoon, so um it'll be it'll be fun to talk with them, yeah, no rest for the weary, my friend we're back in the trenches here we are here we are that's good it's lucky lucky to love your work and
0: and love what you do outside of work right ain't that the truth dude that's that's huge well, hey, thanks so much for your time. I will catch you on the flip side and um, we will do this next week with Louie and super excited to get him and others into the mix. We're already kind of putting together a really cool, I don't know, schedule of events to get some, some other, uh, neat people involved in this. So, um, That's way to go. podcast number two Dan.